It is amazing to see everybody, to be present somewhere with a bunch of people, and not just a bunch of any kind of people, but a bunch of people that are madly in love with Jesus. Um, There are all types of gatherings that are happening in our time. There are all sorts of folks that are rallying together for a variety of reasons, but it is amazing to be in a gathering, to be in a corporate testimony like this uh, with people who are in love with Jesus, who have given their hearts and lives to Jesus, who recognize that we are in the world, we are on mission, that he is our king, and that we have turned over all of our lives um, until that final moment where either he appears or we rise. Um, So it's amazing to be with you. I am really excited to be able to participate and to contribute, uh, to open, if you would, the beginning of this series, The Signs of the Times. As we do that, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles. We'll pray in just a moment to Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. I actually want to read all of both chapters. I'm not going to do that. Um, For your sake, not so much for mine, I really want to, but for your sake, uh, I'm not going to read uh, some 60 verses. Uh, Again, I would like to, uh, but we're going to begin with Acts 1 and 2 and glean from some things that will set a frame to be able to consider this topic, the signs of the times, the end of the age, the last days. Uh, As we do that, uh, I want to say how much I and my family and our team really love and honor your pastors. Um, Keith and Julie are precious. Um, Isabel and Abishai, uh, we love their whole family. And we are really honored to be connected to them and to the CWC family. Um, My wife and children are at home uh, since the last time that we were together. Uh, We are expecting another, um, so we are expecting another, and Stephen, who is here, uh, the international director for Burning Ones, him and his family just had another, a little boy, so that gives him six. I was waiting, somebody always does it, they're like, what? (laughs) Uh, That will give us five. Uh, And between the two families, we are an expensive Chick-fil-A bill. (laughs) All right. Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. Let's just take a moment and give our attention to Jesus. Um, Lord, we love you. And even right now. You're near. You're real. You're in the midst of us. You enjoy being together with us when we are together. You gave your life to be able to dwell in the midst of and rule alongside of a family forever. Revelation 21 tells us that there's a moment coming when God himself will dwell among us, that you will rule the nations 
and all of creation, even extended throughout the cosmos forever, that your eternal kingdom will find its physical place of dominion in the midst of us, and you will rule in the midst of a family. I thank you, Lord, that you're a family man, that you long to possess a people, to have a people as your possession. You are alive from the dead. You have taken away the sting of death. Powers and principalities have been made a mockery of through the wisdom of the cross and your life being laid down, your blood being poured out because you desired a people to rule alongside of you. King Jesus, we ask you this morning, there's a moment coming where you will rule the nations um, in a real way, in a physical way. But would you rule in our hearts? And would you plug us into your story? And would you help us this morning to get in the game? Because there's still light in the day. And you said labor well while there is still light. For the night cometh when no man will be able to work. Thank you, Lord, that we are living in the light of the day and there is still time to work. Help us to get in the game. Check us in. Put us in, coach. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your family. Thank you for the announcement of the gospel and the gift of repentance. We honor you, King Jesus. Have your way this morning in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. As we consider this morning the signs of the times, I found it very fitting that we would open up to the book of Acts. And we're going to glean some things from the book of Acts, chapter 1 and chapter 2. All of you that are on the camera crew that may be a little worried about how wild I can be in movement, I I promise I'm going to stay somewhat fixed. Uh, I'm going to try to be stationary uh, somewhat because I I would like to read certain things out of the text together. And so if you do have a Bible or if you have it on a device, we're going to look at several passages and places in Acts 1 and 2 so that we can look at it together. And you just don't take my word that it's actually in there. But we're going to look into the word. Uh, I'm sure you know these are days where we must be lovers of the word. Uh, These are days where we must be deeply, intimately familiarized for ourselves with the word. Uh, It is impossible to love Jesus well without loving the word. For in the beginning was God, right? And in the beginning he was with God. And he was the word that was God that was with God. And John 1 tells us that that word that was with God and was God came into a temporal, immediate, fleshly appearance and existence and tabernacled among us. That the word came and put flesh on and lived among us. Loving Jesus well involves loving his word. You cannot love him without loving the word. You can't say, well, I love him, I honor him, I worship him, but I don't really care about the Bible. That's not how it goes. And it's important that we understand that loving the word is part of loving Jesus. Because there are several things that Jesus spoke about 
for cultural conditions that would awaken our attention for us to recognize that the end of the age or the signs of the times or as it is also referenced, the last days is upon us. And one of those things is that men would be lovers of themselves. That there would be a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. That people would subscribe to false teachers and ear ticklers. That they would go looking for whatever it was, whoever it was that was championing their perspective, that was subscribing to their preference, that people would seek after teachers and preachers, and that there would be a plethora of voices that would fill the culture and society, more so than anything that you would want someone to be saying, that there would be ample opportunity for you to be able to find that voice and to align alongside of them says that the love of many would grow cold. Listen to these things. That people would be lovers of themselves. That they would be gripped with a self-interest and a self-absorption. That we would live in very self-centered times. That people would no longer subscribe to truth, to the doctrines of the scriptures, but that they would twist the word that they would modify the word in order to accommodate their lifestyle and their preference and their behaviors, that they would use the word in order to satisfy their own self-centered agendas, their own narratives, their own motives that they were looking to wield corruption and compromise with. Man, these are things that Jesus talked about. These are things that Paul and Peter and James and Jude and the rest of the apostolic writings These were the experiences that they were living in in their day. Paul says in Philippians 3, there's actually many out there that right now are preaching the gospel for selfish interest. They're preaching it to raise finances. They're preaching it to raise their influence. They're preaching it so that they can develop a resume. He said, but man, praise God. That even in the midst of all the falseness and foolishness, that there's an authentic voice. That there's an authentic witness. That there's a people possessed by God, filled with power, that are announcing the gospel with authenticity. Man, it doesn't sound like much has changed over thousands of years. Jesus said that there would be wars and rumors of wars, that nation would rise against nation, that there would be abominations in the earth, that it would be as in the days of Noah, when every inclination of men's hearts would be evil and vile and wicked and corrupt at all times. He said that there would be plagues, there would be sicknesses, there would be weird physical, atmospheric manifestations. But even in the midst of these cultural conditions, even in the midst of all of the symbolism of what should cause our attention to rally and to cling to the person of Jesus, because the end of the age is not about the unveiling of the Antichrist. The end of the age is not about a beast or a dragon or a harlot or even Babylon. The end of the age is not about the false prophet. The end of the age is not about frogs and birds and all types of unclean spirits. 
If you're familiar with the word, you understand that I'm referencing things throughout the book of Revelation. The end of the age is about none of these things. But the end of the age is about the beautiful unveiling of King Jesus. The end of the age is about the revealing of the most beautiful, the most powerful, the most meek, broken, tender, fierce, loving, kind man that has ever lived. The end of the age is about the second coming of this wonderful king and the unveiling of the rightful ruler of all the nations and creation. The end of the age is found in Revelation 1.1 as John details by the encounter that he has. It says this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The end of the age is about Jesus The end of the age is not about any of this other foolishness and all of the things that are easily going to distract many. It says that there's going to be the potential for even the elect to be led astray by false teaching and doctrines. In one translation, it even says doctrines of devils. The elect, those who have seen him, he is saying there's going to be the potential For us to be compromised in the place of our devotion. But even in the midst of the end of the age, even in the midst of the signs of the times, even in the midst of what we would consider to be the last days, we have a beautiful testimony of an eruption in a region of a people that were possessed with God's spirit. And this is what we find in Acts 1 and 2. We find that Jesus has come and lived. That he has laid his life down. He says, no man takes it from me. I lay it down. For the Father's given me power to lay it down. He's given me power to lay my life down. What did the one man in all of creation throughout any era of time do when he was given the opportunity to wield all of God's power? He used it to lay his life down for those that he loved. The only man worthy to wield all of God's power when it rested upon his life as he lived it in physical form as a man. The only man beautiful enough to handle God's power. The only man worthy enough to wield all of God's power used it to lay his life down. He said, and I not only have power to lay it down, but the Father has also given me power to pick it back up. And we know that he was nailed to a tree. We know that he bled out on our behalf. We know that he was buried in a grave. We know that he was extended down into the depths of hell itself. We know that he conquered sin. We know that he conquered death. We know that he conquered hell. We know that he rose victorious by the Spirit. We know that he was alive on the other side of death with the keys. And he said, now I have all authority and I'm sending you. And in Acts chapter 1, we pick it up after the resurrection, but right before his ascension. Because his resurrection is incomplete without his ascension. His resurrection is incomplete without his ascension. And we find that in Acts chapter 1, he has gathered with them now for a period of time, teaching them about the kingdom of God. And it says that right before, Before he was to ascend. They didn't know that he was ascending. Right before he was to ascend is where we're going to pick it up. Let's look at Acts chapter 1. Verse 
Verse number three. To these, he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This Jesus, who's been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. At this point, they scurried down to Jerusalem and they gathered in an upper room and they were waiting because Jesus told them to wait. They were tarrying because Jesus instructed them, don't do anything until you receive what it is that my father has promised you. They were lingering and they were fasting and they were praying and they were worshiping and they were together. And I'm sure that they were scared out of their minds because they didn't really understand where all of this was going to go. Because their immediate or initial reaction to the things that Jesus was teaching them about the kingdom, their question was this. Is this now the time when you are going to fulfill everything that we know that God has prophesied through the lives and mouths of prophets for hundreds of years you see because they had an understanding they had an understanding that for thousands of years they carried the oracles of God as a people for thousands of years God was in the midst of them and with them and leading them and guiding them all throughout history for thousands of years in significant moments God would raise up a prophetic voice and he would declare things to them there's coming a season where I will come and I will dwell in the midst of you and I will rule all of the nations and I will rule in the midst of all of my enemies. They knew that there was coming a moment where God would raise the dead. They knew there was coming a moment where God would pour out his spirit. And they understand prophetically tracking with God's voice over hundreds and even thousands of years. They understand that there are two very important ingredients that are going to mark what it is that we call the last days or the end of the age when God would come and physically dwell in the midst of his people when he would walk the earth establish his throne in Jerusalem and rule forever they knew that there were two main things they were looking for 
one of which was that God would raise the dead. The other is that God would pour out his spirit. Joel 2 tells us, for in the last days, in those days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even upon my sons and daughters and servants, even will I pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. You see, they understood for thousands of years that we are looking for two specific things in order to be the signpost or the determiner that God is about to wrap this whole thing up. One of which is God is going to raise the dead. Jesus was among them. But he was crucified in front of them. Jesus walked in the midst of them. And he preached to them and he taught them. He unpacked to them, if you would, the reality and the power and the beauty of God's kingdom. He said, the kingdom is at hand. You need to repent for the kingdom has drawn near. He ruled in the midst of them, casting out devils, opening the eyes of the blind, cleansing the lepers, raising Lazarus from the tomb. He was a witness to what it was that he was teaching. They understood. Man, could this possibly be God in a person? But then he was crucified. There were others that had done miracles. There were others that had worked wonders. But there were none other that had raised themselves from the dead. There were no other that had come out of the other side of a grave victorious. Yes, there were prophets. Yes, there were miracle workers. But there had not yet been one that had claimed to be God in the midst of them. And Jesus raised from the dead. Okay, let's check off box number one. Because, man, if this is going where we think it's going, then, oh, man, this is going to be good. And when Jesus walked through the wall and he appeared to doubting Thomas... He said, listen, I'm back. I know that you were worried. I know that you were scared. I know that you guys are huddled up here in fear because you thought that this was going somewhere. But it's confusing to you. It's confounding to you what I'm actually doing because I don't seem to be doing what you thought I would be doing. Or at least we're doing the same thing, but I'm just not doing it the way that you wanted me to do it. But I'm back. And he's in the midst of them. And he's teaching them about the kingdom. And on the other side of teaching them about the kingdom, their immediate response is, is this now the time when you're going to establish your throne? Is this now the time when you're going to rule from Jerusalem? Is this now the time when you're going to deliver us from the Romans and all of our adversaries and every enemy on every side? Is this the time when all of the victims psalms like psalm 110 you rule in the midst of your enemies like psalm 2 ask and i will give you the nations even though they rage against god and his anointed one is this now the moment and he says it's not for you to know the times and seasons you see you understood that there would come a time when i would come but you didn't understand that i would come two times you knew that i would come the first time And you thought all prophetic promise was wrapped up in one coming. But there are things that I secured in this coming that I will realize in my next coming. And you don't understand that I've come, but I must go so that I can come again. Because there's a time of tension that is going to be experienced. There's a time of delay that you're going to seem to have to go through. But everything that I have ever said and promised is true. And I've secured it in this coming. But now I'm telling you, go And wait 
for the promise of the Father. Because John baptized with water, but God is about to pour out his spirit. What? 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 God is about to pour out his spirit. John came and baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You see, there was one that came before me with a baptism of repentance, but soon you will be baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. What? God is about to pour out his spirit? We've already seen you raised from the dead. God is about to pour out his spirit? We're supposed to go and wait for God to pour out his spirit? And they go and they wait. Because man, could this be? And they go and they tarry. Because if this is true, and they go and they pray and they worship and they wait together under the tension of the word of the Lord hovering over their lives. And them now having pledged their allegiance to Jesus. He is Lord because he has conquered death. He is Lord because he has defeated the grave. He is Lord because he's alive on the other side glorified forever. But if God pours out his spirit. If God actually pours out his spirit. And this thing is about to get going and it's about to get moving really fast and we're about to have to get involved. And they go and they wait. And Acts 2 tells us suddenly in the midst of their waiting. Acts 2, 2, suddenly in the midst of their waiting, there was a sound. In the midst of their waiting, there appeared to them cloven tongues of fire. In the midst of their waiting, their worshiping, in the midst of their longing for God and everything that he had promised them, all of a sudden, they were all filled with God's spirit. All of a sudden, God poured out his spirit upon flesh. All of a sudden, what Jesus promised them became manifested to them. All of a sudden, the other ingredient that they knew had to happen in order for the signaling of the end of the age. And God poured out his spirit upon them. And God didn't just leave them up in their little pep rally meeting in order for them to jump and dance and shout and roll and goose bump it out. God didn't just leave them in their little huddle. But it says that when the Spirit came upon them, that God thrusted them out into the streets. But no, 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 hold on, Lord, you don't understand. Like, there's hostility in the streets. God pushed them out into the streets. Well, no, 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 Lord, you, you don't understand. Like right now, like we've pledged our allegiance to a fugitive and anybody that aligns themselves with him, like it's not going to go well for them. Like you don't understand. Like we're not really liked right now. Like nobody's really cheerleading what we have going on. Like nobody's really subscribing to our brand. They don't really like who it is that's leading this movement. And God put his spirit in them. He put fire on them and he sent them out into the streets. And they are out in the middle of the streets, and things are absolute chaos. They are out in the midst of the streets, and there's criticism, there's insults, there's confusion. It says that some people are mocking them. It says that other people are criticizing them. It says that other people misunderstand them and think that they're drunk and think that they're just involved in a bunch of nonsense. But in the midst of all of what seems to be uncertainty and all of what seems to be a lack of definition, it says that Peter stands up in the midst of them and says, you can call it whatever you want. 
but this is that which all of the prophets have spoke about. He said, you can say whatever you want about it. He says, you can cast your insults. He says, you can hurl your criticisms. But this is that which the prophets spoke about. And Peter begins to powerfully articulate and powerfully bear witness and generate testimony to the Son of Man that was crucified in their midst. And Peter begins to track with them. If you look at the content of what it is that Peter preaches as he stands in the midst of a hostile moment, Peter tracks with them throughout all of their own history in order to reveal to them that God has brought before them the moment that they had waited for for thousands of years. He says, God actually came, and he came in the man of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and God publicly endorsed him with signs, wonders, and miracles, and he was in your midst, and yet you crucified him. But even that was spoken about, that he would come, and that he would be sacrificed, and he would suffer at the hands of evil men, and you put him on a post, but God put him in the grave, and he's alive on the other side. And we have seen him. And he has ascended into the heavens. And now God has poured out his spirit. And he says the heavens are receiving him until the moment when God releases him to come and reconcile all things. He preaches to them their own history. He preaches to them their own tracking with the word of God and the voice of God contained in the lives of prophets that spoke to them as a people. And after Peter gets done preaching, when we look down at Acts 2.37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. Man, where is the heart-piercing preaching in our day? Where is the heart piercing preaching? Well, you don't understand. Like, man, he better not say nothing that gets on my nerves. You know, like, uh, man, he don't know who I am. Does he know how much I give? He can't talk to me like that. Man, like, I'll take my tithe somewhere else. Do you understand who I am? Do you know what I'm about? I'm just not going to let you sit up there and talk to me like that. Like, hey, pastor, I I think that you've used the word sin too many times over the last couple of weeks in your messages, bro. Like, there there are other passages that you can preach from. Like, stop with all the condemning. Stop with all the guilt. Stop with all the shame. Peter rises up in the midst of a hostile crowd and moment and tells them, tells them, God is about to wrap this whole thing up. And you have an opportunity in front of you, not to do your own thing, but to do God's thing. You see, for too much of us in our day, we're trying to figure out how God fits into our life. The story of the gospel is not that Jesus died so that we can try to fit him into our life wherever it is that we predetermined we want him to belong. The story of the gospel is that Jesus has been opened wide and given us access into his life. And now my life is about his story. And I'm not trying to package Jesus into my story so that I can do whatever it is that I want and just try to get Jesus to bless it. Peter looks at them and he says, you've done your own thing for a long time. And it says that they were pierced to the heart. Too much of preaching in our day, especially in the West, is all of this, it's all about you, a bigger you, a better you, a more rich you, a more influential you. God died because he only cared about blessing you, comforting you, pampering you. 
It says that when Peter preached, their hearts were pierced. And they said to him, if what you're saying is true, then what are we supposed to do about it? Like, I just can't hear what you're saying and not respond. Because if it's true, then my life only fits in one of two categories. I'm either directly involved with what God is doing, or I'm on the outside. Their hearts were pierced, and they said, what must we do in response? And Peter tells them, repent. We have to understand that repentance is not just an emotional response so that I can feel better about the bad things I'm doing. We have to see that repentance is a declaration of a pledge of allegiance. That repentance is a turning from every other idol. Repentance is a turning from every other lover and desire. A repentance is turning from every other deity or king or governing authority in my life. And it is an intimate and intentional turning and returning to Jesus as king. Repentance is a declaration. My life no longer belongs to me. It belongs to you because you are king. I no longer have my own story, so to speak, but my story is in your story. He says, what must we do if what you're saying is true? And Peter tells them, repent. Repent and put your faith in the gospel. The gospel is the announcement that Jesus is king. And this king has a kingdom. And there's a moment coming when the king will return and he will establish his kingdom. And every other ruler of the age, every other power, every other principality, every other thing that has embraced and celebrated wickedness, evil, and compromise by way of sin is going to be judged. But we can repent and turn from a corrupt generation. We can repent and turn from our ways of darkness. For the light has come into the world. For the light has come into the dark. But men love their darkness more than they love the light and they rejected the light because of their desire for darkness Peter says you have to repent and put your faith in the gospel you have to repent and be baptized so that times of refreshing can come upon you you have to repent and be baptized and be filled with the Holy Ghost for all that God would call to himself. This is for you. And it says that they respond to Peter's preaching and that God fills them. I want you to understand that there was a defining moment in the lives of the disciples when they encountered what they encountered in the upper room. Being filled with the Holy Ghost and having fire be put upon their life did not pad their comfort. Being filled with the Spirit and having fire come upon their life did not make things easier. As a matter of fact, getting filled and having fire ruined the rest of their life. It ruined the rest of their life. For anything that they thought 
thought was ever going to be normal. Nothing was ever normal again after the moment that they encountered God the way that they did in the upper room. But what did they do when they understood we're living in the last days? What did they do when they were gripped with a real awareness? God has fulfilled the signs of the times. What was their action when they understood we may not have much time left? They didn't huddle up and try to perfect worship services. They got out in the streets and they began to announce the gospel. They began to develop family in the midst of a world system that no longer understood them because they were in it, but they were no longer of it. You see, now they were born again. Now they were filled with God. Now they carried his power and his presence and his glory. Now they were out in the streets laying hands on the sick, casting out devils. Now they were announcing the gospel and people were being baptized and filled with the spirit. Now they gave themselves daily to the apostles' teaching. It wasn't any longer a Sunday injection. It was like, man, I've got to get in the game. Like if God has actually done the things that he said he would do, then that means there's something for me to do. You see, there are so many, especially in this season of life, that are trying to check out. They're trying to tuck away. They're trying to hide themselves and preserve themselves until things normalize. Well, if I can just make it to, uh, to November, you know, like praise God after November 3rd, everything's going to get back to normal around here. You're laughing because you know it's true. If I can just make it to November 3rd, brother, I tell you, we're going to get rid of all this foolishness and stuff's going to normalize again. And if I can just get my normal back, maybe I'll get back to being devoted to Jesus. They understood there is no more normal. This is normal now. What's normal now is being filled with the presence of God. What's normal now is we're no longer bowing to governmental structures. What's normal now is it doesn't matter to me if Caesar sits in the palace because my king sits on a throne. It doesn't matter to me if the Romans are the oppressors because the kingdom is advancing. It doesn't matter to me if my setting, if my environment is no longer favoring me or is favorable for me for the advancing of the gospel and the preaching of the testimony of Jesus because now we are the majority. Now we are the influence. Now what God has done in us is redefining everything about us and transforming all of the culture around us. Because the announcement of the gospel is you can repent to be transformed. You can be pulled out of a wicked, dark, corrupt generation and be renewed by God's own life on the inside of you. And God formed for himself a people that he planted in a hostile city. And he said, everything that I ever told you is true. Now go. I put my spirit on the inside of you. It's time to preach. 
I put my spirit on the inside of you. It's time to lay hands on the sick. I put my spirit on the inside of you. It's time to cast out devils. I put my spirit on the inside of you. You're now to live as a representative or as an ambassador of another kingdom. I put my spirit on the inside of you. You no longer have an excuse in order to embrace all of the things that you believe should limit you because you are no longer limited because I am not limited and I have taken up residency on the inside of you. He put fire on them to put them in the game. He didn't put fire on them to fuel their self-preservation. He didn't put fire on them in order to pump up and pad their comfort. He didn't put fire on them in order to fan into flame their American ego. But he said, it's time to get in the game because I have not only gotten into the game, but I have gotten into you. And they understood that if he raised the dead and poured out his spirit... These are the beginnings of the last days. But their response to the initiation of the last days was to check in, not to check out. Their response to the end of the age and the potential for all of time to reach its climactic moment when he said he would return, their response was to check in and not check out. What are you going to do if your definition of normal never returns to you, but you have predetermined that all of your devotion is hinged upon your understanding of your preference? What are you going to do? Are you going to hide in a bubble for the rest of your life? Are you going to sit and soak and self-preserve? My God, I hope not. I hope not. God put fire on them to put them in the game. Guys, listen, it's time to get in the game. The rest of the world is using fire as a way to tear things down. (laughs) But God is using fire as a way to build things that he desires. And he put fire on them. And I like that it says every single One of them got some. They were all together and a cloven tongue of fire rested upon each of them, which means nobody was left out. If you were present, you were in the opportune time in order to receive something from God that would revolutionize your life and that would make you a transformative ingredient to wherever it was that God planted you in society. I hope you believe what I'm saying. It said each of them got some. If you want some this morning, I'm telling you, you're in the right place. It said God had something for each one of them. There's enough God to go around. And he put fire on them in order to transform them. You see, in our day... Much of Christianity has just become a self-help tool. It's just become a medicine to our own ego. But the gift of repentance is that I would lay my own life down because God has given me access to his life. And when God gets on the inside of me, I no longer have excuse to do things that I always thought would be a part of me. But now I can live his life because his life is on the inside of my life. And he's given me fire so that I can burn. 
He's given me fire so that I can be transformed. He's given me fire so that I can transform every single place in society and culture that he may plant me down. And I'm telling you, I came this morning to tell you that God wants to check some of you in. That he's ready for some of you to get off the bench and get in the game. That you've been sitting on the bench reading the playbook, but that you've been reading the playbook for long enough. It's time to actually get out on the field and to begin running some plays. It's time to actually get out on the field and to have your name called. It's actually time to get out on the field and check in and get into the game. Because the game is going on whether you are going on with it or not. We don't get to determine whether or not God is going to do it. He's going to do it. The thing that we get to determine is whether or not we're actually going to let him involve our lives. You have a choice. Even when God knows what's best for you, he doesn't make you do it. He doesn't puppeteer you and force you to make the decisions that he knows is best for you. Recount your own history with the Lord. You're not going to find one moment where he cornered you and coerced you and forced you to do something that you in your own power to decide did not want to do. And this is the point. He told them, go to Jerusalem and wait because I have something for you. And it's going to be really important that you get it. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you Don't try to do anything until you get this. Go and wait. Please, I'm telling you. Because I'm going. And I'm coming again. But in in between the time, there's going to be much for you to do. And you're not going to be able to do it unless you get what the Father has promised. I'm telling you, you, you can try to do it in your own strength. You can try to do it in your own intellect. You can try to create all these forms of religion that deny the power. You can become a lover of yourself and just try to sprinkle a little bit of what God seems to be doing in your day over the places of your life where you think it fits best. But I'm telling you, go and wait. Because right now, you're worried about a bunch of other stuff that is not up to you to be able to decide. He said, stop worrying about the Romans. Quit worrying about the fulfillment of this thing or your desire for this thing. You're worried about a whole bunch of stuff. But go and wait. Because God's going to send his spirit. And when God sends his spirit, nothing's ever going to be the same. When God sends his spirit, it's going to completely cripple fear in your life. When God sends its spirit, it's going to crush all of those insecurities in your life. When God sends its spirit, it's going to free you from the prison of self-preservation in your life. When God sends its spirit, it's going to radically transform you and define you as a people, a family, as kingdom representatives. Go and wait. But here's the point. They didn't have to. They'd be like, hey, bro, I got lunch plans, man. Like, I ain't got time to be waiting around, like... Like, man, like, what, what, what are you talking about? Go and wait. Wait for how long? Like, what, what do you mean, wait? Like, I got stuff to do, bro. Like, I'm busy, man. 
I got a lot of kids personally. Like, I got a lot happening. What do you mean, wait? What do you mean, like, wait till when? Wait until. Until what? That's the whole point. Wait until. Wait until you know it happened. Wait until you know you got it. Wait until you know he touched you. Wait until you know he came. Wait until you know the encounter was real. Wait until you know you weren't just parroting what somebody else was saying. Wait until you know he actually formed something on the inside of you and freed you from everything that bound you. Wait until. Well, Jesus, I mean, that sounds cool, like this whole waiting game. But you understand, like, man, life is busy and there's a Netflix thing that I'm trying to watch. And, bro, like, I only got an hour and a half, man. Like, if you can't get it done in an hour and a half, then, bro, I'm out. Like, we'll give it a shot next time. Like, I'll wait until next Sunday so that we can go get it done. They actually went. And they actually waited. And it was days and days and days and days and days. But God came. (laughs) Their waiting wasn't in vain. God came. Their hopes weren't just hollow. God came. It wasn't just shallow. It didn't just lack substance. He filled it all with himself. And he radically and dynamically changed them. These are days where we need a people to arise in our culture that have been radically and dynamically changed by the power and the presence of God. I'm not talking about people that can just quote scripture verses or post fancy memes on Facebook or who can wield their favorite verses against people that they want to try to bash and thrash. You understand, even the devil knows the scriptures and tried to wield them manipulatively against Jesus in the wilderness. We need a people that have been changed. We need a people that have been transformed. We need a people that have been filled with God's Holy Spirit. We need a people that have real fire on their life and just aren't burning for their own agenda. Just aren't burning for the political narrative. Just aren't burning for all of the nonsense that the world has to offer. But God said, go and wait and wait until something actually happens to you. You can check out early if you want to, but I'm telling you it's coming. You can leave and do your own thing if you want to give that a shot. But I promise you, I'm going to fulfill what I said. And they went and they waited and God touched them and God touched them not to set them aside but God touched them to set them down in the midst of I believe that the Lord wants to touch some of you this morning because he wants to set you in the midst of all of possibly what we've been afraid of all of potentially what we've been trying to self preserve from All of what we've been hoping we could avoid. All of what we could have been hoping that we could somehow just tuck away long enough so that when things get back or when things resume or when things get redefined that we can come out then and pop our heads up and be excited then. But God is looking to touch some of you right now in the midst of. But I believe that it requires a response. Jesus instructed them, but they actually had to go. They had to go. And wait. And they went. And I'm going to ask you all over the room. Man, if there's a hunger in your heart for the Lord to touch you. And if you understand, as they did. I understand that it's been 2,000 years. (laughs) 
They believed that he was coming back any afternoon. And they lived with a passion. They lived with an urgency. They lived with a jealous burning because they actually believed. And it is very easy for our hearts to be conditioned and hardened to believe that, man, we've heard that for 2,000 years. But is it ever really going to happen? As I told you the last time that I was here, these don't necessarily have to be the end days for everyone. But I promise you one thing. These are the last days that we have. And in the last days that God has given us to live, it's time to get in the game. It's time to start loving. It's time to start serving. It's time to start preaching. It's time to start praying. It's time to start casting out. It's time to get in the game. I'm going to ask you right now, if your heart is burning, man, if there is an ounce even of fire in your heart, and you have been finding difficulty to burn in these days. And you say, Lord, I want to burn, but I just don't know how to do it by myself. Would you touch me this morning? Lord, I want to be hungry, but it's so hard when I look at all of the cultural conditioning and the rioting and the protesting and the nonsense and all of the issues that are abounding. It's hard. Would you touch me this morning? Lord, I understand that they were filled in Acts 2, Acts 4, Acts 10, Acts 19. Would you do something in me this morning? Because I believe that I'm the influence. I believe that you and me are the majority. I believe that you're not lobbying for a vote, but that you're a king. Man, if there's anything in your heart this morning that desires God, I believe that he wants to touch you. And I'm going to ask you right now to respond to the Lord. All over the room, would you stand up on your feet with me? And if you know that God is troubling your heart right now, if you know that the Lord is speaking to you right now, I'm just going to ask you to step out of your seat and to come somewhere towards the front and just begin seeking God. Just begin seeking the Lord. Let the hunger in your heart intensify. Let him touch you this morning. And let him create a greater sense of burning and longing and urgency in your heart for what it is that he is doing. Yes, out there, but more importantly, in here. Lord, I need you to touch me this morning. I need you to touch me this morning. You have to do something in me. If these things are true, man, then what must I do? Peter said, repent. Turn from your own way and get into God's way. Turn from doing your own thing and involve yourself with the thing that God is doing. Stop trying to do it in your own way. Empty forms and filters and images and ideas. And let him actually touch you. Let him powerfully transform you. Come on, when you get here, just begin to seek the Lord. This is something between you and God. This is a moment to tarry, to linger, to wait. Don't give him three minutes. Don't give him five minutes. Don't check out after a minute and a half. 